Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Well, this is going up in the afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, because there's a review embargo on it. Um. And I think, I've heard other podcasts do this, I think that I have to declare if I've gotten this early, um, and was provided by the company. Um, so Disney did provide me with a screener in advance. I heard some say it was an FTC regulation. Um, Disney did provide me with an advanced copy of, um, well, a screener for Mickey, The Story of a Mouse the documentary that will be premiering this Friday on Disney+. Plus. Um, I wish there was a better way to say that. Maybe had I thought of it a little bit more, maybe we would have... Uh, I would have thought of it a better way to phrase it. It doesn't sound quite so braggy, but either way, um, I've seen this documentary that will be debuting formally on Friday on Disney+. Plus. Now, um, how do I put this? Um... Because, look, I, at this point, you know me. Um, you've heard me talk about things that I've gotten advanced copies of before. Um, and I don't exactly hold back, which is probably why Disney went a while between giving me stuff, um, if we're being real here. Um, and I don't know. I'm, like, I'm watching the documentary, and I'm like, really, they put a review embargo on this? Like, um, because it's like, the, the thing is, it's not that it's bad, but it's a documentary. So at the end of the day, all it is, it's like, it's information that's known and compi- it's just compiled in a way that's, you know, got more visuals and stuff like that. Um, because, and, and if you're interested in, in Disney in, in a, in a sense of their impact on the industry, um, and, and, and what they've done for theme parks and stuff like that. Um, I highly recommend the Disney Historical Institute podcast, or Disney, yeah, Disney Historical Institute podcast. Um, you can get it the same place you get this podcast, um, and he does these long format stories over multiple weeks where he talks about, um, moments in Disney history that you may not know about. He did a great bit, um, I don't know if it's still up because it was a while back, about, uh, Walt Disney and Bing Crosby trying to make a, um, what's called, trying to make, like, a West Coast version of Madison Square Garden, um, and he did, uh, more recently than that, he did, um, an interesting one about the feud between United Artists at the time, now it's no longer, now it's Universal, but United Artists and Disney over the Florida parks, um, and, and, and all of that, um, and, and he, he, he very well researched his stuff and all of that. Now, I say that, because recently he's been doing a bit about the Yippie invasion of, of Disneyland, uh, 
which was this moment where protesters descended on Disneyland um, to protest commercialism and all of that, that Mickey had come to represent. Mickey Mouse had come to represent. So they, they converge on Disneyland. Mickey is a reflection of society, um, or how society feels, and the idea that, you know, Mickey in the, and I think part of the problem is the documentary is only an hour and a half, and ordinarily I would praise short content, um, because I'm a big fan of the thing that I'm not sitting here for hours and hours and hours on end, you know, trying to get through, um, like, look, I loved the documentary Light and Magic, but it's very long. I, I don't think it needed to be as long as it was. I don't think that, you, you, you know, you probably could have done it in less episodes. Um, but it's not the, you know, whatever. Um, six hour long episodes is a long time. And, you know, it's great because it goes into a lot of detail and you have a lot of space to explore the topic at hand. Same goes for Imagineering Story. Same goes for Inside the Attraction. Same goes for, you know, the Disney Gallery Mandalorian. Same goes for the making of assembled uh, specials that they put up after every Marvel movie and TV show ends. And it's that same kind of thing where it's like, look, we're just going to, you know, give you a peek behind the curtain. And I think that what this one does is that it introduces a lot of interesting ideas. Um, but it never really dives into any one of them that deeply, specifically. And what I mean by that is, when you're doing a documentary like this, you kind of want to, like, something like this would have benefited from being a series, where it's like, you do an episode about the, the creation of Mickey, the, what happened with Walt Disney Universal with Oswald the Rabbit that caused him to leave and make his own company, and then the creation of Mickey Mouse. Because if I remember correctly, and I could be wrong, but they, they don't really address it one way or the other in the documentary, um, Mickey was not the first creation animated thing that Disney put out. I seem to recall there being other cartoons. Maybe I'm mixing it up with uh, Warner Brothers. Because Warner Brothers had um, other cartoons before Bugs Bunny. Maybe that's what I'm mixing it up with. Um, and looking at it that way, and just kind of being like, okay, so here is everything that's kind of um, going on at the time. I feel like they could have better explored, like, that aspect of it. Then they get into the next part, which is, like, the arrival of Mickey as a character, him forming a personality, and then that personality having to change, and then the, the birth of the other characters to take the offshoots of the personality that could no longer be attributed to Mickey. That should have been its own episode where they talk about the development of Goofy and Donald and, you know, and all of them. And look, I, I, I totally understand, you know, again, it's a documentary about Mickey, so not wanting to spend time on them is, makes sense. But this is a point that they bring up, not a point that I'm making as a viewer, like, knowing more than 
the documentary is lining on. Like, me looking at it and going, like, oh, okay, now I see that. Like, that was, like, a, a weird moment of, like, uh, understanding, where it's like, oh, so that's why Donald is the angry one. That's why Goofy is the dumb one, and it's because families wanted Mickey to be the straight man. So to make Mickey the straight man, you have to take his attributes and put it to other people, and all of that kind of makes sense. I would have liked to have seen them go deeper into it. How did they develop Donald as a character? And, so and then we made a duck, and his name was Donald, and he's angry. Um, it's that kind of thing that like I would have liked to have seen a little bit further. Um, and there are other things, too, that are just kind of brought up, just because like, it would have felt weird if they didn't. But at the same time, they never really grapple with it in a meaningful way. Like, Mickey is you know, problematic history, where it's like they showed a cartoon of Mickey in blackface, and, you know, like, they, there's no shortage of cartoons from the 1940s and 50s that are like Mickey on a tropical island, and Mickey in, in Africa, and, and things like that, that are, or Mickey dealing with Native Americans, and it's just, oh, these are just supremely racist, like, so, it, it, it's that kind of thing where it's like, they're not really addressing the issue at hand, they're just kind of like, yeah, it happened, let's move on. And the same goes for copyright and, you know, commercialism and all of that, where it's like, yeah, Mickey became a symbol of counterculture at one point, and he was a, a um, he became kind of like the poster boy of commercialism, and they talk briefly about the copyright lawsuits, and they give the most ridiculous answer on the planet about why they went after these people, and I'm like, yeah, but if that's the case, if that's your rationale for, for doing what you're doing, um... Then, then what's the point? Like, like, why, why are we in the situation that we're currently locked in with the estate of, of Steve Ditko, and I believe the estate of Stan Lee's in a similar situation, um, or like, you know, two years ago, was it two years ago or last year, where Ed Brubaker was talking about getting offered a, a very small royalty on the Winter Soldier appearing from Disney, because it's not like he was offered this when it was still Paramount. This was while Marvel Studios was owned by Disney. And they offered him a very... I think almost it was like five grand they offered him to to have um, the Winter Soldier appear because it was work for hire. And it's like, look, for the amount of time they spend saying how work for hire isn't right for the artists, it's like, well, why the fuck are you paying your artists so little even to this day? It's not even like we're talking about something that happened years ago. It's like, this is happening now. So you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth. And look, I totally understand. It is a corporate documentary made by the corporation about the corporate mascot designed to make the, the corporation look as good as possible. I totally understand that I was not looking for anything biting. However, because it's just Mickey, I, I think that it's a worthwhile endeavor. In the same way, I, I, I've probably talked about the book before, Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Um, that kind of explores the 70s and how the 70s shook up, the late 60s, early 70s, shook up the um, the studio system in Hollywood and completely remade Hollywood in, in the image that it was up until, I would say, very recently. I don't think it's the same as it was. I think we're kind of back to a studio system, but instead of it being a, like the studio is being king, it's kind of the IP behind the studio being king. Um, and it talks about George Lucas, and it talks about um, French Ford Coppola, and it talks about Scorsese, and all of these directors in the 70s that kind of came in and, 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 and changed the way movies were made from then on, um, and, and it's a great book if you're interested in film history, but with that, 
you get this broad exploration of the entire industry. It's not focusing just on Paramount. It's not focusing just on, um, on, on Warner Brothers. It's everyone is getting talked about and everything is getting addressed. Um, and then we get the offer, which kind of touches on parts of it. Um, but because it's very specifically about The Godfather, it's like, well, I would have liked to have seen the entire book get adapted. And look, I understand that the offer is not specifically meant to be an adaptation of Easy Riders Raising Bulls. I'm not saying that it is. But I would have liked to have seen that entire book get adapted to see how the entire industry reacts. And not, because that's the thing about The Godfather is The Godfather is one of the best movies ever made, but it's not made in a vacuum. It's part of this wider thing and that had broader implications on the industry. And similarly with Mickey Mouse, I feel like we have a similar thing here, where it's like, what happened, like, especially the thing where I talk about parents being, um, what's all being, uh, not liking Mickey being silly or Mickey being, you know, um, too angry or anything like that. Like, I would have liked to have seen that kind of comparison done across animation, where it's like, okay, so they don't like Mickey doing that. But, like, and I understand that I think that there was a slightly older target audience for, um, what's it called, for for Bugs Bunny, but I don't think Bugs Bunny ever really had that, and if I remember my, my Looney Tunes history correctly, which I could, it's been a while since I've brushed up on it, but I seem to recall that Bugs Bunny had the same personality and, and was always kind of coming out as the winner, unless Chuck Jones was the one behind the the cartoon, in which case he was given opportunities to to kind of not be the smartest one in the room, which gave him a, a moment of catharsis, which made some of those cartoons among some of the best. Um, like, if you go back and watch, like, the one where Bugs Bunny fights the Gremlin, um, it's a World War II propaganda piece. And that's another thing, too. They touch on the World War II propaganda, but they don't really do too, like, they don't go too deeply into it. Like, go deeper on all of this stuff. This feels like a proof of concept for a for a lengthy piece about, you know, the history of Mickey Mouse, where each one of these little 20-minute segments is going to be stretched out to be an hour. Um, but it just doesn't happen that way. Um, but anyway, like, you know, these, these World War... It was a World War II one where Bugs Bunny gets his ass kicked up and down the movie by the gremlin. And it's, it's in a way, it's cathartic for the viewer, because it's like, we don't see this every day. Bugs Bunny's usually the guy who's smarter, so to see him get outwitted is always entertaining. And I could be completely wrong about which artist it was. I know that Chuck Jones did a lot of work with with Warner Brothers in the 50s, but in his style, if you've ever seen an animated um, Dr. Seuss cartoon, you're looking at kind of the same thing. Um, where it's, it's that same kind of uh, style. Like, if you watch one of those and then watch one of his Looney Tunes cartoons, you'll be like, oh, I see where everything is. And, and look, I mean, I, I think it was kind of the homogenization of Mickey as a character that did kind of make him fall in the way he did. And then on top of it, too, he didn't have a, um, what's it called? When he went from uh, being that character that he was initially, like, we saw on Steamboat Willie, and, you know, all of his early stuff, including, like, Lonesome Ghost, which is, Lonesome Ghost, if you haven't seen, is a fantastic, um, cartoon, it's, it's, like, seven minutes, it's Mickey, Donald, and Goofy as Ghostbusters, um, 
and and it's from I want to say 19, 1932, 1933, maybe thirty eight. I know it's pre war, uh, maybe maybe thirty eight. Um, but it's this cartoon where they're, they're Ghostbusters, and, and uh, I I'm gonna always say it, but that I ain't afraid of no ghosts comes from this because Goofy has that line in this. Um, but like you know those like. I think Lonesome Ghost and Steamboat Willie are really the only ones that I can really name. Like, if you go to Disney World, you'll see the other ones, but they're not as well-known. Oh, there's the band one, too, where he does the band, and then there's Fantasia. Um, mm-hmm. But the issue is, it's like, you know, he's kind of just the corporate mascot. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen a lot of the smaller things that they address in this kind of get a wider um, a wider exploration a a further look at what each of these small pieces in motion mean in the broader sense because it's like by the time we get to the end it's like there's not really too much explained that's gonna be like okay so now I understand why you know why this is different from the treatment of other characters. And it, it is one of those things, too, where it's like, again, it's Disney, so Disney doesn't want to assign blame to themselves for what they did to to Mickey. But it is very much their fault. And, the, and the, the documentary does kind of portray it that way, but at the same time, it's very big on taking it out of their hands. Um, I guess I, I feel like there's, there's a lot of room for improvement in the documentary, but for what it is, and, and what it is is an hour and a half, kind of a primer. It's kind of like a, a introductory to the history of Mickey um, that you would normally find, and then you'd be like, okay, well, where do I go from here? It's like, well, that's where you need to explore further on your own. Um, I, I feel like it's a, it, it is a, it's something that could have been handled better, and I think the only way to really handle it... I, I think it's kind of one of those things where it's like the snake eating its own tail. Because the way you handle it better is to make it into a, a miniseries instead of it being a one-off documentary. Which, okay, fine. It makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Then you do... Um, what's it called? Then you do... Um, you, you can't really do that, though, for a Disney-sponsored thing where... It's like, okay, so, well, we have to kind of cover all of that. And, and, and then if you, if you expand it out, though, if you start pulling at the threads, it becomes like, well, Disney didn't act the best in a lot of these situations, so they're not going to do that, so you're going to end up with this being what it is. And, and, and what ends up happening is if you want to know more, you have to go and find other books. Um, so, like, I would recommend... Um, not specifically about Mickey, but about if you want to learn about the early days of the Walt Disney Company, and you want to learn about the the early day, like you know the the World War II piece and, and all of that. Um, Queens of Animation by Nathalia Holt is fantastic. Disney Historical Institute podcast is also great. They do a lot of really deep dives on uh, stuff like that. Um, it, like I know the Muppets are not owned by Disney, but if you want, and the, the, they're not in this at all, but. There's a Jim Henson biography that's fantastic that, you know, that will that will tell you a lot about about him and, and, and his, and, you know, his creation of the Muppets 
Um, but I, I feel like there's just the issue here with this documentary being... I don't think that it really goes deep enough, and I, I think we're just going to sit here and, and watch the documentary, and then if there's something you want to know more about in the documentary, there's no shortage of books on, on the topic. I would just pick up an audio book and, and continue from there. Um, but yeah, I would, I, would, I would recommend watching it. I'm not saying don't watch the documentary. I'm just saying that you have to take it with a grain of salt because it is made by the corporation that it is about. In the same way that if Coke put out a documentary about how awful Pepsi is, you'd be like, hmm, that's a little weird. Like, and you'd be like, you'd be hesitant to believe it. Or if Coke just put out a documentary about how great Coke is. Like, if, if there was a How We Made Coke documentary about the, the you know, about the founding of the Coca-Cola company, like, they, they would shy away from some of the weirder parts of their history. Um, like how, if I remember correctly, the formula got stolen by someone who bought it out from a grieving widow. Um, and that was how the Coca-Cola company came into existence, by and large. Um, but it is what it is. So we'll wrap up there for today. Check this documentary out on November 18th. It is definitely worth the watch to, uh, to check that out. Um, because it is a nice little primer. Um... And I think that that's, you know, if they expand further in the future, that would be great too. But I don't know if they're going to or not. Um, but we'll wrap up there for today. Um, our next episode will be um, possibly the Banshees of Inishirin, um at some point this week. Um, I have to figure out the schedule on that because um, it is a little bit of a clusterfucky of a week. Um, and it also doesn't help that Black Panther came out last weekend and Black Panther's playing on like nine screens at one of my theaters that I go to um, which is definitely going to eat into where I can see the Banshees of Inishirin um, I don't particularly want to see the menu I don't particularly have high hopes for the menu but I may see the menu and as usual and or continues and any other shows that come as they are and not to quote Nirvana but until then have a great rest of your week with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.